In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we have what I call the gospel in miniature. This will prepare our hearts for the communion, the ministry of the choir, which is going to follow the message. And again, Brother Jim, notice with me, please, these two wonderful verses in this first chapter of the first letter of Paul to Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. What we're going to do tonight is just dissect those two verses. That's all that we're going to do. And allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us from these few sentences that Paul penned to his son in the faith. According to E.K. Simpson's commentary on the pastoral epistles, here in this brief passage of Scripture is the very soul of the gospel. I want you to think of that term as we move along, the very soul of the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. For this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering, and the next three words are key, as a pattern the soul of the gospel. Perhaps we could ask tonight as we read these verses, is there any word from the Lord for this age and generation? My answer would be yes. It's this word right here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What is the most important message that could be heralded on this Sunday night? When we have just had another change in the cabinet in Washington, D.C., when Russia is talking about new arrangements on arms, when there is confusion, it seems, on every front economically and educationally and governmentally, and in some cases even religiously, is there any word that could give us hope? Here it is again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It ought to remind us of the word of the angel in Luke, the second chapter, verse 11, when the pronouncement about Jesus came unto you is born this day in the city of David, a what? Savior. A Savior. He has many names. In fact, there are over 200 names in Scripture attributed to Jesus. But to me, the best of all is this word, Savior. Savior. 
unto you is born a Savior. We would be hopelessly lost without a Savior. As bad as things are, they would be much worse if it were not for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what the world would be like if we weren't Christians, because in us there is the seed of deceit, hatred, malice, murder, all of the rest. What if indeed that's the way we were living tonight? But because of the grace of God that Paul speaks of here, through the Savior, the world is better because we have embraced Him, and He's our Lord. Over 1,900 years old is this verse that we have read, the 15th verse of the first chapter of the first letter of Paul to Timothy, and yet there is no need to change any part of it. It's still good tonight. Over 1,900 years after it was spoken, and after it was written, it is still the answer. It is the gospel in miniature. It is, as E.K. Simpson said, the very soul of the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to thunder that tonight before we come to the table of the Lord and profess our faith through the bread and the cup. Now, you have your outline Authentic is the first word you see there. This is a faithful saying. Now that word faithful could be translated into several different terms. One would be reliable. You could read it, this is a reliable saying. Sometimes in advertising, people use the word reliable. In fact, there is a company that sells cars by the name of Reliable. Do you believe it? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't dealt with them. I, I'm not here to judge that. But there are sometimes uses of words that make you wonder. But when you say this is a reliable saying, it is reliable. We are here to testify of it tonight. Because when we said, Jesus, I believe you, he met us in our need at that moment, and his word was absolutely reliable. Another way you could read it is this is a true saying, or this is a dependable saying. It's something that does not wear out with use. No matter how many embrace him, no matter how many trust him, he is still dependable. This is a dependable saying, Christ came to save sinners. It is still valid today. Many sayings are false and unreliable, but here's one that is absolute. One that you can write down, and ten years from now, if we're still here, you could read it again and read it aloud, and it would still mean just as much as it means tonight. This is a reliable, dependable, true statement, a faithful saying Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hallelujah. There are people in this congregation that just recently have discovered that. Some out of sordid background, some out of alcoholism, some out of drug-dependent type lifestyles, some out of depraved sexual habits 
have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They trusted Him. They believed Him. And He touched them in their point of need. And now with us, they rejoice by saying, this is a faithful saying. This is a dependable saying. This is a true saying. This is a faithful statement. Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and that included me. Hallelujah. And now with the Apostle Paul, as I read this morning in our first timeless insight for this month, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that what? Believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The just shall live by faith. And as you have faith in that saying and in the Christ of that statement, you pass from death unto life. And to testify of it, we come to take communion. It's authentic, folk. Hallelujah. You can depend on it. It is absolutely true. Secondly, it is acceptable and adaptable. Notice the words, worthy of all acceptation or acceptance. The message of God is adapted to meet the needs of all people. Haggai 2.7 says that he is the desire of all nations. I used to wonder a little bit about Joel, the second chapter, which was repeated by Peter on the day of Pentecost when he said, Upon all flesh will the Spirit be outpoured. All flesh. There's some pretty decadent flesh around. And there are some nations that you just wouldn't think this could happen. But even tonight we have heard of a nation where a million people have come to know Jesus in recent years. The desire of all nations. Don't forget that. Heaven is not just for Americans. Heaven is not just for the white upper class. Heaven is for all nations and all people of all nations. Jesus died for the whole world, folk. That's why we believe in missions. That's why we give and that's why we pray and that's why we sin. Because it is acceptable for all people in all places at any time. This is what Paul is saying, worthy of all acceptance. Good news. The devil has tried to blind the minds of men. According to Paul, as he writes to the Corinthian believers, their eyes have been blinded by the enemy. They cannot believe because of that blindness. But Jesus Christ came to dispel the blindness to call Satan, in essence, a liar, that he is not the answer for their need. He is not the only one that can be believed in and trusted in. Jesus Christ came to dash that away, which is the lie of the enemy, of course, to deceive and to trick people into following after him. The gospel is good news. It takes away all of the false. It rolls out of the way all of that which the devil has lied to us about through the years. And we can say with the apostle it's acceptable and it's 
adaptable. Christ is so adaptable to the needs of the whole world. He wasn't white. He wasn't black. He was of a race of olive skin, which is the neutral color for all the world. Isn't that nice? So that no one could be offended by him. He came in God's timing, in God's way, through the seed of a woman that God had ordained, and he has become to all nations the acceptable and the adaptable Savior. And when they have tried everyone else, there is still Jesus who will be waiting to forgive them of their sin and give them life everlasting. It happened with some of you. You tried everything and everyone else, and when you were all worn out, you said, Jesus, could it be you that I'm looking for? And he said, yes, I'm the desire of all nations, worthy of all acceptance. Isn't that wonderful? Thirdly, the certainty of his coming. Christ Jesus came. I don't know if there's really much need to emphasize this. There are four conclusive proofs that we can come to by these few words, Christ Jesus came. The prophecies of the Old Testament said he was coming. Isaiah and Micah and others said that he was coming, and he came exactly as they said. The testimony of the secular and religious history books of the world testify that he came. And what about the calendar itself? The date testifies to his coming. For we use it this way, B.C. means before Christ, A.D. means after the dispensation of Christ. Isn't that exciting? Even atheists have to write A.D. or B.C. I love that. That must just kill them when they have to write B.C. before Christ. I wish we didn't abbreviate. I wish we had to spell it out. 500 before Christ. I'd like for all of them to have to write it down. <laughs> That's the cynicism in me. But our calendar is divided by that event. That's significant. History says he came. Our calendar wouldn't even work right unless you believe that Jesus came. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, man, I get excited about that. And fourth, millions have been able to say, we know that the Son of God has come because he lives inside. I know he's right there with me. Hallelujah. And you know that too. John 5, 1 John 5.20 says, we know also that the Son of God has come. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I know the Son of God has come. Christ Jesus came, praise the Lord, and he's coming again. We'll get to that in a moment. Number four, the character of his coming. Notice that he came into this world. He didn't come to some other planet. He came into this world. In Luke chapter 1, the Annunciation. In Luke chapter 2, his birth at Bethlehem. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the explicit language of John is, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
Paul in Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a virgin, made under the law. And where did He come? Right here. Right here. To this earth. And I'm glad He stepped down from His glory throne and became man dwelling among us. Hallelujah. Last night after the men's prayer meeting, one of our men came up and handed me this little note. I haven't even been able to transfer it to a piece of good paper yet, but he scribbled it out for me, and I appreciated it so much. He wrote it, and this is what it says. God is my source. That he will provide is a matter of course. I'll do all I can, Lord, to keep us afloat, and I'll do all the rowing, Lord, if you'll steer the boat. The only way Jesus could steer our boat is by his willingness to come down here where we were. And he did. He became flesh and he dwelt among us so that we can take him into our boat and we can move through the waves and the storms of life because Christ Jesus came where? Into the world. Don't read by those words too quickly. He came into the world, not into the cosmos. He came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, I'm chief of those sinners. Number five, the cost of his coming. You have to think from where he came. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For our sakes he became poor. He came from the glory of heaven, from the bosom of the Father, from the splendor of kingship to poverty. For our sakes he became poor. What cost? God's first missionary, Brother Ellis, Jesus Christ, came into this world, the world that he had created. He came as a baby with physical limitation, God in a body. Can you imagine how limited he must have felt, God in a body? First time he ever experienced that in all of history. Came in a limited way, at great cost, at great humiliation. And think of how he was treated, God in a body, slapped in the face. Beard pulled out, spit upon, crown of thorns on his head, hit with a cane, nailed to a cross, a sword thrust through his side, people wagging their heads. He saved others himself. He cannot save. If you be the Christ, come down from the cross. When you know you're right, it's awfully hard to be still, isn't it? It's awfully hard not to fight back. Jesus was right. Jesus was God. But at great cost, he came that we might take these emblems and say, Jesus, without you, I would have no future. I love him for that. When I think of the ridiculous trial they gave him and the ignominious death that he died, 
when I think of the cost to him, I want to take the bread and I want to take the cup and I want to sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, what it cost him that I might come and embrace life everlasting. And then sixth and last, the constraint of his coming. He came to save sinners. Those are blessed words. He came to save sinners. In Jude, the 24th verse, Jude, who was a half-brother of our Lord Jesus, said, Now unto him, him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Jesus Christ came to elevate us. He came to lift us. He came to give us his power. He came to give us his strength. He did not come to touch your life and send you out of the church house to stumble and fall on your face. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and in that word save is a completeness. There is a power that sometimes we don't hear or sometimes we don't recognize. There is in that word save the seeds of eternity. You are saved not to fall, not to fail, not to stumble, not to be insignificant in the eyes of God. You are saved for eternity and you are to live with Jesus every day as a saved sinner. You're never going to die. You're never going to be lost. You're saved. And sometimes we walk around like we're not saved. We act like we're not saved. Sometimes people say, oh, pray for me, the devil's really after me. Well, so what? Who's he anyway? When you stand him upside of this wonderful personage of 1 Timothy 1.15, who is he? He is nobody. He has no power. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And he's able to present you faultless. <laughs> Did you get that? Faultless. 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 Without blame. Without sin. Without spot. Without wrinkle. He's going to present his bride unto the Father without spot and without wrinkle or any such thing. And he's going to put on us white robes of righteousness according to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to walk with him in white, for we're worthy. You know how I love white. 
I've told you about it. Friday night, my favorite night for bed. Because the sheets have been changed. Oh, I love it, especially in the winter when it's a little cool. And you slip into those white sheets, laundered, smelling so fresh and so good. And you just sort of slide down in through that whole thing. And you pull the covers up around your neck, including the bedspread, always the bedspread. There's something about the bedspread right up around your neck that keeps out all the cold. And you just wiggle all ten toes in those white sheets. Oh, it's wonderful. Do you know what I mean? Then on Sunday you open the closet and there is a white shirt. Ooh, boy, you just put that white shirt on and it feels so good, so clean. Smells good, at least when you start out. There's something about a white shirt that blue or pink or any other color just can't do for you. There's something about white. Then you come to a wedding and she walks down that aisle in that white dress. Is there any sight like that in the world? And then after some months, they have a baby and they bring the baby in white to be dedicated to the Lord. Why? It's a symbol of purity. They shall walk with me in white. Me? Don't you know me, Lord? Yeah. That's the miracle of it. He came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul never got over it, nor should we. He came to save sinners and to preserve us unto his glory so that he will present us to the Father faultless. He's looking forward to parading his bride before the angels of heaven and the Father on the throne saying, these are they that I died for. These are those that accepted my forgiveness, Father. And I present them to you white, holy, clean, faultless, spotless, dressed in white. They are worthy. Do you mean, Pastor, that is the fact? of the whole matter, it is the fact. And tonight, when you receive a piece of bread and a cup with the fruit of the vine therein, you are testifying that you're on your way, not to stand in any merit of your own because you don't have any, not to stand in your name because it's not significant, 
but you're going to stand in his name and in his power, and the Father will receive you into his eternal kingdom because of he who came to save sinners. That ought to make a pretty exciting communion tonight. He did not come just to educate us or reform us or give us some code of ethics or be a hero. He came to save us. He came to save us. It's the one thing we needed above everything else. And I just want you to get excited about it anew tonight. I'm preaching to Christians. I want you to get excited about being a Christian. You ought to go out of here jumping up and down and shouting it to the housetops. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I am saved by the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk with him in white, for I am worthy. He has made me worthy of his grace. He died for me. I am not come to call the righteous. He wasn't interested in that. But he said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. Luke 15, 1 and 2, the big argument about Jesus was this. Get it now as we close this message. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. <laughs> I say, glory to God, he did that. That was their complaint against him. I say that's to our credit because he still does that. He comes to where sinners are and he sits down with them and he talks to them and he eats with them and he helps us to sing that beautiful song, I come to the garden alone. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me miracle of miracles that I am his own hallelujah that's what this table is about tonight we belong to him because he identified with us i thought tonight of john bunyan who wrote pilgrim's progress the book that has sold more copies than any other book except the bible in history an evangelistic layman, he was not a preacher as such, he was a layman, but he would go out preaching, and he spent long periods of time in prison for unlicensed preaching, and that's where he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Why would a man do something like that, spend time in prison for preaching? You know why? Because he believed this verse, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and he's the only one that could do it. And John Bunyan says, if he's the only one that can do it, I've got to tell everybody I can. And he did. Once after preaching, a friend told him he was a good preacher and that he had preached a great sermon. And John Bunyan said, I... You have no need to tell me that, for the devil whispered it to me before I was well out of the pulpit. Oh, he had perception, tremendous perception. And as he writes about Christian and so on in that whole 
marvelous unfolding story, you see the gospel in miniature again by a man who caught the vision that Christ Jesus came for one purpose, to save sinners, because he was the only one that could do it. How important is the communion? It is so important. Because we bow at his shrine, our Savior divine, our wonderful, wonderful Lord. Without him, we would be hopeless. We would be helpless. We would be lost. We would be like a ship without a rudder, like a horse without a bridle. We would be wandering about aimlessly with no purpose. But because Christ Jesus came to save sinners, we can sing. Amen.